What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast, and this is the first episode of Season 3. That is right. We are back, bringing the Fresh Fantasy Podcast back better than ever. And today, we're going to be talking about our top 10 free agent moves from a fantasy football perspective. This includes guys like James Conner, Juju Smith-Schuster, Mitch Trubisky, and while we believe they will be great for the teams they signed or re-signed with, this also does include trades. Joining me today to break this all down is a man who is widely regarded as one of the most handsome men in the fantasy football industry. He is a fantasy sports writer and analyst for CBS Sports and is a man who is so great that he had a candy bar named after him. With over 65,000 followers, he is CBS Sports' Heath Cummings. What's going on, Heath? I am not sure what was less believable, that the candy bar was named after me or that I'm widely regarded as one of the most handsome men in fantasy, but I'll take both. Thank you. It was a very nice introduction. Absolutely. I think the, the candy bar had to be named after you. I think they just knew it was a sign that you were going to go and do great things with CBS Sports. <laughs> but besides that, I'm excited to break this all down. But before we get into this, I have to ask you, tonight is national championship for NCAA basketball. And it looks like you have a Kansas little flag right there behind you in your setup. How excited are you about Kansas playing tonight? And what? how confident are you that they're going to win? Uh, very little confidence. That's one of the things that comes with being a Kansas basketball fan and having seen <laughs> multiple Final Four and Elite Eight disappointments. But, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I wish that I didn't have to stay up until like one in the morning to watch it. You know, last night was uh, WrestleMania this weekend, and we, we don't, I haven't watched wrestling in a long time. My son wanted to watch it, so we... We bought it and watched that. And so I stayed up way too late last night. And then I look at my phone. I'm like, okay, what's the game start at? 7.30, 8 o'clock. It starts at 9.20 my time. This is a game being played in New Orleans between a team from Kansas and a team from North Carolina. It's not like it's UCLA against Oregon. I have no idea why this game's starting so late. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's not a, probably not a good day for East Coast dads. Um, <laughs> I will definitely be up for the game, but... Man, is I don't know why they have to start so late for the whole thing, but I guess just part of the troubles of living on the East Coast. I'm in Boston, so I'm totally with you. But I have to ask one thing real quick about that. And I think the other cool part, of of course, it's Kansas and your team, but is there any kind of subtle happiness that you'll get if if North Carolina pulls it off? Because there's only been, I think, one or two eight seeds. I know it's at least Nova in, in 85, but I want to say there's one more that have ever won it all. So will there be some semblance of happiness that like, oh, an eight seed got to win it all? Or is it like, this is my team, it's do or die, period? I mean, it's not do or die anymore. I, I think I've evolved yeah. past that a little bit, but... Like it's going to be 1130 at night and I'm going to guess I've had a few adult beverages. I'm probably not going to be the bigger man in that moment and be excited for North Carolina. There has always been a little bit of a connection, partially because the Carolina blue, it's like one of the best colors in all of sports, partially because there's such a connection between these two schools. Dean Smith went to Kansas. Roy Williams went from North Carolina to Kansas and then back to North Carolina. I heard a cool fact. This is a first ever matchup between two coaches who replaced the same coach in the national wow. championship because they both replaced Roy Williams. That's wow. I did not know that. That is a, that is a cool fact that you'd not hear every day. I love that. But nonetheless, I think it's going to be a great game. Of course, it's not a great time, uh, you know, for the game, but I'm hoping that we get, you know, just a great game that comes yes. down to the wire for me, at least as a fan, I'm sure you'd love a 30 point blowout and that would make those <laughs> go down a little easier, but Hope for, cheers to a good game and let's hope good things happen. But today we're not here to talk about college basketball. We are here to talk about the greatest sport on earth, and that is fantasy football. And Heath, I'm going to start with you. 
Who is your first winner for this fantasy football offseason? I've always been really bad at following rules. So you sent me a free agency questionnaire and I started with a guy who got traded, but it was during free agency. So we're going to count it. It's Russell Wilson going to the Denver Broncos just because of the enormity of that move. The hope that it gives us for Cortland Sutton and for Jerry Judy to finally live up to what we think they are. The, the fact that we might actually get to see Russ cook, maybe he throws 550 passes in a season, 570 passes in a season. What could that be like? And then like, there's some negatives also specifically for Noah Fant, but even with Noah Fant leaving, that just gives us a chance to have a deep tight end sleeper, which he might be a breakout by the time this comes out, he's probably going to be the sixth or seventh tight end off the board. But Albert O with the possibility of breaking out in Denver, Javante Williams, the possibility of being on an above average offense in Denver, this could have really just elevated four or five different guys in that Broncos offense. Yeah, and I think that's the thing we love about it for a fantasy football perspective that we've so badly wanted to buy into the Broncos guys the last couple off seasons, and I think they had so much potential, but they just haven't had the quarterback play. But I also love this that the pass attempts over the last three years were pretty similar between Denver and Seattle. But, you know, the, the level of quarterbacks doesn't make you want to pass as much in Denver the last couple of years. So I think that they finally will, you know, hopefully let Russ cook in his like 10th season at this point. Um, but I love the prospects for Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy and everyone in this offense. I think that he's going to elevate them a lot. And I, I love this. I love the move. And one, you know, quick stat I saw the other day is that when Peyton Manning came to Denver through their first two seasons combined, I mean, Eric Decker and Demarius Thomas had only had about like 1400 combined yards and like 10 touchdowns. And the first year with them together, they combined for over 2,400 yards and like 23 touchdowns or something ridiculous. I'm not saying that Russell Wilson is Peyton Manning and that these guys are Eric Decker and Demarius Thomas. I'm not saying that, but I think the potential, I think he's going to be elevated a lot this year. Do you have a and preference between Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy? Well, that's what I was going to say, and it leads in perfectly because at cost, my preference is probably going to be Tim Patrick. A guy who last year led the team in yards per reception, yards per target, and I believe yards per game as well. He Definitely. has been right there with Judy and Sutton. Now, I I have little doubt that Sutton and Judy are the odds-on favorites to be the top two for Russell Wilson, but those guys haven't exactly been great at staying healthy. So I have to choose one at cost. It will probably be Patrick. That's kind of the coward's way out because I don't want to answer Judy or Sutton. I don't think any of us really know. If I had to choose one, I would choose Sutton. Again, I think he's going to be a little bit cheaper than Judy as well. And I do think there's a better chance for him to make those downfield plays. The thing that's really interesting to me is we saw Tyler Lockett just excel basically outside of the concept of the play. It was Russell Wilson breaks the pocket. Russell Wilson runs around in circles for six seconds. And oh, well, nobody's within 30 yards of Tyler Lockett now. I don't know who that guy is going to be. And that's probably the guy once we figure that chemistry out that's going to just absolutely obliterate their ADP. Definitely, definitely. And hopefully maybe maybe it could be a case of the, you know, whoever buy whoever's cheaper between Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And that guy was Cooper Cup. Maybe it's Cortland Sutton. Obviously different players. One other thing I thought was interesting is that, I mean, DK Metcalf and Cortland Sutton last year had near identical air yards. And I think with that, you know, that prospect of the fact that they had identical air yards, then you look at the quarterback play and the variance of that. I think I'm not saying that he's the same player, but I think we could see a season very similar. And I don't think that's outside the range of outcomes. And I'm obviously very excited for that. But another guy I'm really excited for this year, going to the Miami Dolphins, Raheem Mostert. Obviously, like you talked about with Sutton and Judy, health is the biggest thing. And for Raheem Mostert, health is a really big thing. And he is a 30-year-old running back. But I'm really excited about Raheem Mostert. He's on a prove-it deal for the Dolphins. He's joining what is it now a very loaded offense with play all playmakers all over the board with Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Mike Gusecki, 
all these guys. They have an improved offensive line. They have a, the same, hopefully, wide zone scheme that they ran in San Francisco with Mike McDaniel. And the thing that I also love Raheem Mostert the most at cost for these Dolphins running backs is the fact that I think Raheem Mostert's most likely to be their power back and the guy that they're going to give it to, you know, down deep. It's not going to be Miles Gaskin, who's 5'8 and he's tiny. It's probably not going to be, you know, Chase Edmonds, who is allergic to goal line carries. I think it's going to be Raheem Mostert if he stays healthy. Of course, that's a big if, but I think at cost right now, if he is healthy and if he shows some of that same explosion we've seen the last few years in San Francisco, I think that there's potential that Raheem Mostert could have a very, very good fantasy season. Do you see the potential with Raheem Mostert, or am I just crazy? He's a 30-year-old running back on a new team, and he's not had a lot of success in the NFL. How do you feel about this? It reminds me a little bit, except that nobody was excited about him, about the Tevin Coleman signing last year by the Jets. Because, again, it was a 49ers staff that had just been with Coleman the year before, and they brought him in and then they drafted Michael Carter and everybody thought, well, Tevin Coleman's not going to matter. Tevin Coleman hasn't been good. He can't stay healthy. He hasn't been good forever. At the beginning of the year, it was Tevin Coleman leading the backfield yeah. and then he couldn't stay healthy. And Michael Carter was better than him and things changed as the year went on. I guess they brought him back for this year as well. I think Mostert is a guy that they know will come in and set the tone for what they want their running backs to do in that room. I think he's the most likely guy to take the first carry week one. I'm probably going to want to play him in DFS week one. I really try hard not to assign the injury prone or injury likely thing, but a fully healthy 30 year old running back is more of an injury risk than just about any other player in fantasy football. A 30 year old running back who's never had 140 carries in a season and just gets hurt every single year. I I'm good with Mostert as long as the cost is cheap enough. And I do think yeah. he'll go after Edmonds. The interesting thing for me, because I, I don't think anybody's as explosive as what he has been when he's been at his best. I wonder who gets those carries and what this offense looks like if and when Mostert does go down. Is it Gaskin on early downs? Is it Edmonds on early downs? That that will be interesting to me. Definitely. And I'm curious to see if they also, you know, draft another running back and where where they would draft them because they don't have any guy on a long-term deal. I mean, I think every deal that they have right now is they have two years or less of team control. So it's pretty easy for them to be able to draft and opt out because none of them are on, you know, super big or expensive contracts. So I think that's something interesting to play out, but that's a really good point. Maybe it would be a uh, good old Patrick Laird getting carries, you know, if, if uh, Raheem Mostert goes down. Obviously, I'm joking, but, you know, the Patrick Laird truthers are out there somewhere. Heath, who is your number two player that you think is a winner from this fantasy football offseason? Like a lot of these, this is a guy who stayed home, but Mike Williams got a big contract to stay in a pass-heavy offense with one of the best young quarterbacks in football. Coming off of his career year, we put up 76 catches for 1,100 yards and nine touchdowns. He's got the first-round pedigree. He's now had the success. He has the connection with Herbert. I just don't see any way he's not a borderline number two wide receiver, if not better, this year. He had a lull in the middle of the year, and like Mostert, he's a bit of an injury risk. But he was still able to play 16 games. He just didn't perform very well when he was hurt last year. Um, I think you look at that fast start he got off to, and people will use that and say, well, he can't do that again. He wasn't even any good in the second half of the season. But he was a top 24 wide receiver basically from week 10 through week 18. I think he can be that guy, even if he's not the guy he was the first month. Definitely. I, again, I think health is the biggest thing. And like, if if he does stay healthy and he isn't banged up like he clearly was in some of those games that he was struggling and you could see him basically limping around the field. I think that if he stays healthy, I'm hundred percent with you. I think the potential is big for Mike Williams. And another guy that's a wide receiver too, that has big potential is Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson didn't stay home, but he went to a new team. 
And I think that, you know, truly this, this still is again, probably the first time that he has great quarterback play. I know that Justin Fields was supposed to be the answer for Allen Robinson last year, but he's still a rookie quarterback. And I think that Matthew Stafford has a very proven track record, his entire career of constantly elevating wide receivers where I don't think that Allen Robinson has truly had a quarterback that always elevates, you know, wide receivers. And Allen Robinson was a top 10 wide receiver in both 2019 and 2020. He was wide receiver 81 last year, dealing with injuries, bad QB play, bad coaching, bad offense, but you'd expect him to do better. But I think that it's, he could be someone similar to Robert Woods, that middle of the guy, middle of the field type guy that Robert Woods is a top 15 wide receiver the last three years under McVay. He was the wide receiver 12 last year before he got hurt. Robinson can play all over the field, and I think that he could be a legit wide receiver one with Matthew Stafford. I mean, Cup and Woods were both on pace to do it before Woods got hurt. I'm not saying that he's going to magically come in and learn the scheme and do well, but I think every year we've seen these free agent wide receivers that go with these great quarterbacks, and they play well. And Allen Robinson, maybe I'm just biased, but I just want him to see succeed so badly with a good quarterback, and I think this is the perfect opportunity for him to do that right now. It's this is one of the guys who is the most challenging for me to project yeah. and or rank right now because it, I would not argue with anyone who looks at his season last year and says, okay, he's washed up. He just fell off the cliff and there's nothing left. I also understand some people think, you know, he was done in Chicago and we didn't get the best version of Allen Robinson, which I think is possible as well. But that's it's not just that. Those those top 10 seasons you referenced almost entirely volume-based. The efficiency was bad. Now, I never held that against him because he had terrible quarterback play. Now he has good quarterback play and he's going to a creative offense. Everything should be better. But he's probably not going to get the one thing that he's had whenever he's been good, and that's the elite volume because Cooper Cup's there. And then is Odell Beckham going to be there as well? And what point is he going to get healthy? So I like Robinson a lot as a fantasy number three wide receiver with upside, and I absolutely think he has that top 12 upside you were talking about. I also think it's a pretty big risk, and it could be like an A.J. Green situation last year in Arizona where he's better than he was the year before, but still not particularly useful for fantasy at times. Definitely. And I think for me right now on, according to fantasy pros consensus ranking, he's the wide receiver 31. And for someone that talented on an offense like that, I think that he will get his and I'm willing to buy at that price. I agree with you. I'm not saying that like, I think the wide receiver one is, is in his range of outcomes. And last year was one of the first season in three or four years that we didn't have a pair of, you know, top 12 receivers from that, you know, from a same offense. And I think that they're one of the offenses that could definitely do that, but obviously remains to be seen. He is a risk, but right now at price, he's someone I'm going to smash all day because of his massive ceiling. And especially with the offense that he is in, but Another guy with a massive ceiling is your next guy talking about, and that is Jameis Winston, one of everybody's favorite players. How could you not love Jameis and his pregame speeches? Why are you confident that this could be a good year for Jameis? I, listen, I've always loved Jameis, and the main thing is even when he was bad for real football, he was fun for us and fun for fantasy. So I absolutely love that he's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL this year. You look at what he did last year. And it was just about the most efficient year he's had in terms of the things that NFL coaches care about. Now, there were some really low pass volume games. He had a couple of huge blow up games for fantasy purposes. I don't really believe that this Saints team, especially the defense, is going to be as good as it's been in the past. Everybody talks about how they've made it as if there's no real salary cap. Well, they had to get rid of a lot of good players to do that and not resign some good players to do that. So I do think they'll be in a little bit more pass-heavy situations than they were last year. 
I think he's a high-end QB2 with the top eight upside if they somehow end up in a situation where he's throwing the ball 600 times. But again, this is kind of like the Russell Wilson situation too. This gives me hope for some of these Saints pass catchers, particularly Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. I was really concerned that there was another person in New Orleans who liked Taysom Hill and that we wouldn't get that many pass attempts or that they'd end up with a quarterback worse than Jameis Winston. So the fact that he's going to be there gives me hope that Thomas could possibly have a top 15, top 12 season in PPR again. Definitely. And I hate to put you on the spot here a little bit, but I think that obviously if you're if you're believing in Jameis Winston, one would hope that you're you're somewhat in on Michael Thomas because I think that those things have to go together if they're both going to do well. So, of course, we've had all these ankle surgeries and the cryptic tweets like we do with every great wide receiver that's had a wide receiver one season. Eventually, we get the cryptic tweets and stuff like that and some of the injuries and stuff. So do you think that Michael Thomas, when he's going to be on the field this year, is going to be productive? Keyword, when he is on the field. I think that's the big if right now is if he's going to get on the field and how this is going to go with the situation with the Saints. But where do you have him ranked right now, if you know off the top of your head, and how do you see this progressing? I know it's hard to project. No, I've, I've got him as a mid-range wide receiver too, and that's me okay. pulling back on the projections because if I go in and project him, like even if you say he's – 80% of what he was in the past. He's still a top 12 guy in full PPR. I don't see anybody on this roster that's really going to challenge him for targets when he's right. And I think Jameis will pepper him. So again, yeah. what you said is right. And it's not, it's a little bit like the Allen Robinson situation in that we don't know for sure that Michael Thomas is still the same guy from a football perspective. The difference between him and Robinson, at least from my perspective, is that there's not anybody else there to challenge him for targets. So he does have a higher upside or or a higher likelihood of hitting that top 12 upside if he's okay. Definitely. And, and I agree with you. I think the thing is when you look in the the range right now of where guys are going around there, I mean, like wide receiver 20 through 25 is McLaurin, Cooper, Elijah Moore, Brandon Cooks, Michael Thomas, Jerry Judy. I, I think that it's not unreasonable to say that you know, outside of maybe Amari Cooper, who who hasn't really ever commanded a super insane target share, at least right. Michael Thomas is probably the leading guy there to get the biggest target share out of anybody. Unless unless Brandon Cook stays in Houston and he could get like something like a crazy thirty plus percent target share, but you get the point here that again, target share wise and where guys are going to get you know the ball. Michael Thomas is the leader of that, and Jameis Winston, as much as we love to make fun of him, is a guy that will pepper his wide receiver one with targets and i think that is very good potential for a fantasy and again at price i'm going to be smashing him all day but another guy that's interesting to me and Heath, honestly and and maybe shame on me for for you know just loving to believe in these great stories but i still want to believe in in Cord- cordero patterson i always say his name wrong yeah. but of course the snapshot went down at the end of last season he was not the ultra efficient you know player that he was at the beginning of last season and I think he definitely faded down the stretch but the reason that he makes this winner list for me is he really signed with in my opinion the one place where he has a chance to be fantasy relevant this is not me staking my claim that Cordero Patterson is going to be a top 12 running back again I'm not saying that but I think that he signed with the one place where he has the ability to produce great numbers he was the running back nine last year and in his previous seven years he never finished inside the top 40 he's only missed two games in his career his biggest competition right now before the draft is only Damian Williams. I think this is the one place where he can still truly be unlocked. Does that mean they're going to unlock a 31-year-old player that's only played one full season at running back? Not not exactly. That's not what I'm going for here. But I think with the wide receiver options they have right now and the fact that 
the guys that they have and Olamide Zacchaeus could be their wide receiver one. I think that they still, as of right now, depending on what they do in the draft, are going to have no choice but to give Cordero Patterson the ball and hope for the best. Do you have any hope for him or do you think that I'm just getting a little too excited here and this is a lost cause? This has been such a journey for me. I guess it's only been three months of offseason. But um, no, I, I, in January, when we were doing our way too early rankings, we come up with rankings before the Super Bowl even happens. But I was so far out on Patterson. I wanted no part of him. I could not believe that any other team would give him a chance as a starting running back after the way he finished that season. And no one before that season, besides the Falcons, thought that he was a starting running back. But then... He signed with the Falcons, who have basically done nothing else except for downgrade from Matt Ryan to Marcus Mariota. And I find myself in a position where I might be one of the high guys on Patterson, because not only do I think he's their best running back right now, if we we can call Kyle Pitts a receiver and say he's their number one receiver, but if it's not Kyle Pitts, he's their best wide receiver as well. I think he could catch 60 passes, run the ball 150 times, score 10 touchdowns, and be a, a top 20 running back. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's the thing. And like the thing is that that it's hard about, you know, our position in, in fantasy trying to make predictions is, you know, the draft is about a little over three weeks from now. And three weeks from now, they could draft, you know, Brees Hall or Rashad White or, you know, Kenneth Walker, one of these good running backs. And all of a sudden this all goes to crap and this doesn't matter whatsoever. But if they don't draft one of those guys, I mm-hmm. think the potential is very interesting. And like we said, like this wide receiving core is worse than last year. They don't have Calvin Ridley or even Russell Gage or Julio Jones. You know, Kyle outside of Kyle Pitts, like you said, and like fortunately or unfortunately, I, th- I say fortunately for us fantasy managers, we might get to see Cordell Patterson get a lot of touches again. And I love, you know, the hero stories like that. And maybe I'm an overbeliever, but right now he's going as the running back 37. And I know that that draft price will correct after the draft and we actually know what's going on. But again, the potential is interesting. And how could you not love this guy, Cordell, Cordero Patterson? And we're going to hope for the best. But another guy that he, I don't know, this is another one that, you can say hope for the best or not hope for the best, but I think everyone wants Mitch Trubisky to succeed in Pittsburgh, especially with the weapons that he has. And I wouldn't say that he's going to unlock Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, and they're both going to be wide receiver ones. But I think the potential of Mitch Trubisky, now that he's had the year to learn under Josh Allen, and he's gotten to take all this time to you know think about himself, and he's getting another starting opportunity. Mitch Trubisky is a winner for you. Please tell me again, where is your confidence level with Mitch Trubisky? Yeah, it's not that far from where I am with Jameis. I think he could be a high-end yeah, QB, agreed. too. He's not as good a passer, and he's not as aggressive downfield as Winston is. But his years as a starter in Chicago, he was on about a 350-yard, 17-game pace for rushing every single season. He's a good runner. They'll use him a little bit that way. He'll get a couple touchdowns on the ground. This will be the best set of weapons that he's had as a passer. And he won't be with Matt Nagy. So that certainly helps as well. I, I think he he's a winner because he gets a chance to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And really, like I'm not a QB wins guy, but I know the NFL has plenty of QB wins guys. And he's got a 29-21 record as a starter. He's probably going to be above 500 this year for Pittsburgh as well. So he may just continue to get a chance to keep starting. As for the weapons, I think there's a real chance that this is about as good as it's ever been for Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson in terms of quarterback play. You look at what Trubisky did in his last three years in Chicago and compare it to what Ben's been over the last couple of years, Trubisky's no worse of a passer than Roethlisberger. I think he's probably slightly better at this point in their career. So a slight upgrade for the weapons. 
and a good situation for Trubisky to hopefully get to stay in the league as a starter for a while. Definitely. And I agree. And I think the thing is that this is probably one of the best situations that he possibly could have walked mm-hmm. into of, of course he is, you know, a former top three pick and this is really his last chance to do or die. But this is honestly one of those perfect scenarios. We've seen nothing but good quarterback play in Pittsburgh. He has nothing but great weapons. Like you said, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool. They still have Pat Fryermuth. They have a guy out of the backfield that's a threat, you know, and Najee Harris. And it's not like the Bears ever had a really great offensive line, you know, under Trubisky. And the offensive line is still completely in shambles. But you hope that they'll add someone throughout the draft because they have weapons. I mean, they're probably going to go defense. But again, conversation for another day. But I think if you know, he is going to be great. This is the situation for him, and this is the best chance that we can see. So I think he's absolutely a winner. And, you know, as someone, again, that is one of these guys that has taken so much crap from fans, the media, and everything in between, he's a guy that I would really like to see, you know, succeed after everything that he's been through. And I hope that that magical year under Josh Allen will unlock his true potential. But another guy that is a former Pittsburgh Steeler moving on to a new team for the very first time is Juju Smith-Schuster. And, Juju is a guy that I was absolutely not in on whatsoever last offseason, but because of the talent, the situation, and where he signed, he's someone that I'm in on. Again, I know admittedly Juju's not been very good the last couple years. He's been wide receiver 65, 17, and 133, but he has a top eight wide receiver finish when playing as someone who really takes the attention away like Antonio Brown, where he has in Travis Kelsey now in Kansas City. Juju's still only 25 years old. People are acting like he's a you know past prime wide receiver that's 30 plus. I know he doesn't act 30 plus, but he's still only 25. There's 260 vacated targets between Tyreek Hill, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson. Those are targets that left that offense. He's playing with the best QB in the NFL, the best offensive coach in the NFL, and is playing on one of the best offenses in the NFL for the last couple of years. And now he has really no big competition for targets outside of Travis Kelsey. I think this is another classic situation of the perfect place for him to play and hopefully succeed. Obviously, this could change with one of those big trades that could happen in the draft. But right now, do you see someone as like Juju as someone that could succeed this year? Well, I think there's going to be a, a flag planning session later. And if okay. if we weren't talking about him here, my flag okay. plant would probably be Juju in that I think if this receiving core in Kansas City stays like it is right now and he plays 16 games, he'll be a top 12 wide receiver this year. Top 12 I, wide top receiver. Top 12 wide receiver. I just, I'm not going to hold a couple of injured years with atrocious quarterback play against him. He's played three seasons where he's played at least 14 games. He's been a top 25 wide receiver in all three of those seasons. Wow. None of those seasons did he play with a quarterback that was as good as Patrick Mahomes. So yeah, if he stays healthy this year and they don't make another major addition, I think he's going to be an absolute star. Really? I love that take. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> so he, I, I take it that you you must really love his dances. Is that it? That we're just a little biased here because of how much you love watching him dance? No, I think what it is is I'm a little bit biased about that type of production at that age. My favorite um, little quirk of information from the offseason is that Juju is four days younger than Christian Kirk. And Christian Kirk wow. just went and got $100 million or something after basically having Juju's second and third best season as his best year. He's just... I, I don't think I think he's too young to write off. Now I I acknowledge there is a possibility that one of the injuries that's happened over the last three years sapped him of some ability that he just doesn't have anymore. 
And if sure. that's happened, I'm probably going to miss those things when a guy's lost some ability forever at age 25, because <laughs> that just doesn't happen in the NFL very often, but it is possible. But I think beyond beyond that, and even if he's lost some of his talent and ability, I mean, he doesn't necessarily need all of it, you know, to, to produce well. And I think it's something like the Cooper Cup syndrome. I'm not like this is not a I'm not bashing Cooper Cup. But again, when you're in an offense that can really scheme you open a little specially like Kansas City can do and has done with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, I think we can see something similar with Juju or even if he's sapped of some of that athleticism with a former injury. I think the potential is still really high. I love that take that he could be a top 12 wide receiver. Um, again, I love Juju as well. And now we are approaching our final player before we get into the flag plant. You have Zach Ertz. Please tell us why Zach Ertz is a winner. I was shocked last year when they acquired him and used him like they did, but he was on pace in the yeah. second half of the season for like 140 targets. And a lot of that was without DeAndre Hopkins, but it was with Christian Kirk and AJ Green, who I don't think are going to be on the team anymore. It seems to me like they have Hopkins, they brought back Connor, they brought back Ertz, and that's just kind of going to be the central focus of their offense, along with Rondell Moore on the peripheral. So I think Ertz has the possibility to be right in that Dallas Goddard, Dalton Schultz range which I thought those days were long gone the way he looked in Philadelphia. But he was really rejuvenated by the move to Arizona. They used him a lot more than they thought. I thought they were going to. He'll be a red zone threat with teams trying to take away DeAndre Hopkins. I love the play of him staying there. The only place I thought he might go was I thought he might follow Doug Peterson to go to Jacksonville and go get 140 targets there because that's what that offense does. But no, I, I, I love this move. I, I love it. And here's here's another thing that's interesting. And in, in doing my own research, I, I found this about Zach Ertz. So, of course, I mean, he, this is meanwhile that Zach Ertz is like the most washed tight end in the NFL, sapped of all his athleticism, and he obviously cannot produce in fantasy football ever again. But he's been a top six tight end in five of the last six years. There's only one time in the last six years that he did not finish a Oh, no. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, okay. I think we had a little, little connection there. But I was saying that Zach Ertz has been a top five tight end five of the last six years, as, as washed as he is. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I will. Okay, I'll, I'll edit that out of the podcast. Sorry about that. But I was uh, saying that the internet. Yeah. No. Yeah. Hey, it happens to the best of us. But Zach Ertz, a top five tight end, five of the last six years, and I think that he's a lot better than people realize. And I think, like you said, this offense is, does not really have a lot of players outside of DeAndre Hopkins, and DeAndre Hopkins can only command, you know, so many targets. And you know, he had an injury. You know, I mean, how what is he going to look like when he comes back from that? Zach Ertz is probably going to be my favorite you know, tight end that I'm drafting this year. And maybe he's a guy that'll flop, but I think that he's a guy that has a lot of potential that you can draft around that lower tight end one range that has a super high range of outcomes. Absolutely. So he's someone I'm definitely believing. But sticking with the Arizona Cardinals is my final winner of the offseason. And I know we talked about this guy before the show started. I think I'm really excited about this guy. And I think that there's a very interesting case that he could be a top five running back this year. And that's James Conner. And I think that case for him being top five is the fact that he was the running back five last year. He had 19 touchdowns in 16 games, obviously, but 
Chase Edmonds leaving, I think, is way bigger than people realize. Because I know that James Conner was great last year, but Chase Edmonds averaged 12 touches per game in games with Conner. That's not what he had for the season. That's just games with James Conner. And James Conner, as much as he's probably, like, according to, you know, Twitter, the most unhealthy running back of all time, James Conner's played 13-plus games in four out of five seasons. What person wouldn't want to draft a running back that's played 13-plus games in four out of five seasons? Of course, it does come with the caveat that he's played a maximum of 15 games and he's never not missed a game. But he's played a career high of games is 15, but he's played at least 10 games every season, at least 13 games in four out of five. Their offense can be very much the same, and there might be even more targets for James Conner without Chase Edmonds, who had 53 targets last year, and Christian Kirk. I think the potential is great. They have a solid offensive line. I think they're going to have a very good offense once again, and I would not be shocked if Conner is somewhere in the range of 15-plus touchdowns once again. I know we talked before the the show that you're confident in Conner, so please give it to me again while you're confident, because I just want to believe believe with everything in my heart uh and this might even be hotter than my juju take but i think he's discount dalvin cook i don't really know what the difference yes. is in terms of their upside right now i don't know what the disc difference is in terms of their injury history it looks very very similar and i was like going into last year we all knew they were going to put chase edmonds in the pass catching role but you look at what james connor has done in his career as a pass catcher and i don't know like like we can look at numbers and efficiency and all that stuff do you remember some of the catches he made in that stretch when Chase Edmonds was out, catches oh. Chase Edmonds doesn't make. So yeah. I, I I hope that Cliff saw that and says, you know what? Why don't we throw the ball to James Conner? And if we need to give him a break, we'll give him a break on, on second and six at the 40-yard line, play him in the red zone and throw him the ball. Yeah, exactly. And beyond that, again, you just what you talked about, he was actually fourth among all running backs in yards per route run. He was ridiculously efficient when he was on the field as a pass catcher. He was fifth in fantasy points per opportunity last year, you know, which speaks to his talent, the offense, everything. I think discount Dalvin Cook is a great comparison because, you know, people don't look at them on the field as these, you know, very similar talents. But what they're actually doing and what the advanced numbers are telling us is that they're both, you know, very good running backs. And again, as long as James Conner can stay healthy and if he gives me 13 games next year out of 17, I'll happily take that and draft him exactly where he's going to be drafted right now. And I think that he's a guy with a lot of potential that could be a top five running back this year. But that is it for all our winners, Heath. And we've had some spicy takes here, like you said about Juju and James Conner. But now I'm going to have to ask you about your most spicy take of them all, and that is your 2022 flag plant. And there is a little pressure before I let you give your take. Because we had a lot of flag plants on this show. I asked every guest I had to give us their flag plant. And leading off season three, you are leading off with the first flag plant of the season. So Heath Cummings, please give me your boldest take of the fantasy season for 2022. Well, I may have to come back on if this gets uh, ruined by some transaction. You mentioned him (laughs) earlier. And uh, you mentioned Brandon Cooks and the target share opportunity for him in Houston. The connection with Davis Mills was phenomenal. He is in a place where he wants to be. Last we've heard, I don't think Brandon Cooks is necessarily going to get traded away from them. It's whether they add someone else to compete with him for targets. I expect this Texans offense to be better than it was last year. I expect a small increase in efficiency from Davis Mills. And if Cooks gets the same target share he did last year with even a little bit of an increase in efficiency, he's going to be a top 12 wide receiver. So I'll say the same thing I said for Juju. If he plays 16 games, Brandon Cooks will be a top 12 wide receiver this year. 
Oh my goodness. I feel like you're my personal uh, dynasty, you know, dynasty helper right now. Cause the two guys I've been buying the most are Juju Smith Schuster and Brandon Cook. They're guys I've been buying all off season guys. I love for next year. I love that take. I'm someone that's a fan of Brandon Cooks and as Brandon Cooks has seen like he's produced with every single quarterback that he's ever played with. And I know at first people were saying, okay, you know, he's played with, you know, Drew Brees, Jared Goff, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, sorry, not Deshaun Watson, all these guys. And he's produced no matter what, but we saw it last year that even with Davis Mills, who I think is better than people realize, he's been really good. And Brandon Cooks has been a top 16 wide receiver in all but two seasons over the last eight seasons now. He's really good. And last year he was the wide receiver 20. And I think that, again, if you just have the splits with Davis Mills, I think he is a top 15 wide receiver once again. I think that he can do it again. And he's one of those guys that we talked about with target share and demanding targets. Brandon Cooks is like the Robert Woods of just underrated every single year. And you are always finding a value in drafts. So and I he's absolutely gonna be, Yeah, that. he's going to be there in round six. Like every Later. year it's round five or round six. And like, okay, yep. here, I'll, I'll take the high-end wide receiver too. <laughs> Seriously, it's it's crazy, but I love the talent of Brandon Cooks, and I hope that he produces once again. I will say to my listeners, though, we are prepping it, but I'm not ready to give my flag plant just yet. That is going to come sometime next week, but I will say that he is a quarterback for the NFC West. I think that he is going to be the man this year, and he is going to be another version of what Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson were in their second seasons in the NFL. Oh, That's a little hint for you. I thought you were a. Uh, I thought you were a Drew Locke stand for a second there. <laughs> you're right it is it is drew lock i think that he is going to be a rushing maniac next year um but i'm excited to give that take coming it'll probably be on the third episode just trying to make sure i formulate everything together i don't want to just make a case to make a case i want to have a well thought out case and we will get there but heath thank you so much for coming on the podcast today this is a great way to open up the third season of the fresh fantasy podcast do you have anything you want to say to the listeners before we get out of here? Anything, any other wide receiver that they need to know about that is going to produce big in fantasy next year? You know, I, I mean, I'm I'm probably too high also on Amari Cooper, so I'll just throw him right in there with Brandon Cooks and Juju, and and I can not draft a receiver in the first four rounds of the draft and still get three <laughs> of my top fifteen guys. That feels pretty good. Absolutely, I love it. I love it. But thank you so much for coming on, and I hope to get you back, you know, sometime soon. But nonetheless. Thank you all for listening to the first episode of season three. And like I said at the beginning, this is going to be the biggest, baddest, and best season. And we started off with a guest with a candy bar named after him. It doesn't get much better than that. But as always, please leave a review. You guys already know what to do. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day.